When and where were you born? I was born in Point Blank, Texas, San Jacinto County. And do you happen to know how your family came to live there? Like how the family originated? My, that, that, that was my, my father's uh, home. So he originally was from? He, 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 lived, he lived there. And then, then when he married my mother, she went back with him. And I was born there. So were you born in a house? I have no idea, sweetheart. I was, no, I, I wasn't born in a house. I was told I was born by, by um, a traveling nurse, whatever they have in the country. It's out in the country, you know, so yeah, I, I guess I was in a house, but not in the hospital or anything, you know. Nurse do home visits, private nurse do home visits. So do you have any siblings that are still with us? No. And how many was it of you all? Three. Were they brothers, sisters? They were brothers. I had two, I had two brothers. One, uh, my mother had had two kids for my father, and she had one by another husband. And do you have like an early childhood memory of being around them? Well, my brother that that was lived in Point Blank, I never saw him until he was sixteen years old, almost eighteen years old, because my mother left Point Blank when I was six months old. And she left him there. My father, she took me because I was a baby. And and my older brother was physically handicapped, and he lived with my grandmother. Okay. Okay. So, who were your childhood heroes? What? Did you have any childhood heroes? Are people you looked I, up to? You go from my birthday to, to, to uh, heroes. I mean, how old are you talking about? When? I would say like about the age of eight or nine. I had a childhood hero late in there. Okay. Did y'all go to church? My my grandmother was was a uh, strong member of the Church of God in Christ. So when we left Point Blank, we moved back in with her, with my grandmother, and she went to church uh, twice during the week and three times on Sundays. So you had a good. You had a good relationship with your grandparents, your grandmother, and your grandfather? No. I never said anything about my grandfather. I never, I never knew my grandfather until I was fully grown and out of college. I, I, I was married when I met my grandfather. And do you remember where they were from? Point Blank, Texas, San Jacinto County. Oh, okay, San Jacinto County. So what was your education like as a child? Like, I would say from eight, like, do you remember what school you went to? Uh, I, w I don't remember the name of school, but at, at age eight, I was in Stanford, Texas, and I was going to a, a junior high school. I don't remember the name of it. And do you remember what high school you graduated from? I graduated from, from Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School in Lubbock, Texas. And how did you get from Stanford to Lubbock? How did your family? Oh, in a car. So they had cars back then? <laughs> yes. So do you remember the year, perhaps? I, I moved to Lubbock when I, I was in ninth grade. I don't know what, I don't remember what year they were, I can pick it up. But I was in ninth grade when I moved to Lubbock. In your opinion, how is the world today different from what it was like when you were an adolescent growing up, I guess I would say to like maybe the age of 16? 
16 or as less and less teenager. I'm saying in between that time, like if you look at the era, those eras of your life, how is the world different today versus when you were growing up? 100%. 100% what? Different. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Well, you got to remember, you know, it, 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 when I was age, we, we, we were in a, a totally segregated society. So it's different, you know what I mean? So I, I, you got to be more specific, but we were totally integrated. I mean, black folks live on one side of town, white folks live on the other side of town. And it's and it remained that way in, in, until the uh, early 60s. From high school, you went immediately into college? Yes. And what school was that? Bishop College, Marshall, Texas. And what was your major? My major was, uh, a, I started out as an, with an accountant major, but I ended up with a degree in, in, in business. And is that what you really wanted, was a degree in business? No, I wanted a degree in accounting. But uh, what happened when, when, I, when I went in, there was only three of us who, who chose to do accounting majors. And uh, by the time I got to be in my senior year, two of the guys had dropped out. And it was a small college, so the president said he couldn't afford to have a whole class for one student. And so I had switched majors, but I, but they did give me a, a, my, uh, I was on a football scholarship, and, and my job was off season, was working, working in, in the business office with, with, the, with the college accountants. From high school, I'm sorry. Well, I would say from high school and college, which, what school did you graduate from in regards to your collegiate career? I graduated from Bishop College. Bishop College, while you were there, what was the first industry that you got into as far as your professional life? Professional After career? After I graduated, mm -hmm. I, I went to work for an insurance company and I was in training for at least to be a staff manager. And how long did you work for that company? Could you give us the name? Atlanta Life, the Atlanta Life Insurance Company out of Atlanta, Georgia. And they were based in Texas at the time? No. Or did they, you go they, to Atlanta? They were based in Atlanta, Georgia, but they had district, they had offices all over the country. Really, it was one of the largest black-owned insurance companies at the time in America. And, and they, had, they had an office uh, in Lubbock. That's why I graduated from high school, and, and I knew the people in Lubbock. And, and what they told me, if I, when I graduated, they, they invited me to come back and take a job with that company. And during that time, were a lot of African-American people migrating to that career field as far as insurance? That was one of the largest black businesses they had in the country. But there, there were a number of insurance agents. Atlanta Life was just one of the many. If you had Atlanta Life, you had Golden State Mutual, you had, uh, oh, you had eight or ten at the time. There were large insurance companies, and they, they were really primary uh, hires of uh, college graduates. We remember again, we, we are in segregated America. You see, so, so those, those companies had a base because they serviced the black Amer uh, black community and all the th all the needs that we had, and so they supplied the uh, the insurance needs because white insurance companies did not want would not at that time would not hire I'm sorry would not insure black people.
And do you remember like the time span? Like in the early 60s or late 50s? Well, I mean, that, that's what I want until. No, I'm saying as far moment. as you working for this particular company. Oh, that's what we thought, the insurance company. Well, what happened was I went to work I, when I got out. I didn't actually go to work in love. They had they had a program called the um, oh they they would they would do training for young men and they would hire you and send you on what they call everybody called a special team, and they would send you around to different different uh, companies in the country to see how they how each one of those companies operated in their environment in the different cities, and so I jo I joined a special team, and uh, but again. I graduated from 1960, and th at that time, the America ha ha had a draft program for the military. Okay, and if you were not in college, you immediately went at the head of the draft list to be available for the draft. Okay, and so uh, when I graduated, I had to go register to my draft board, and then they offered me this job. They they didn't have a job in love for me to work, so they offered me a position on a special team. Well, we would travel around until they found it open, and then, then they would place you wherever. <clears throat> and I joined a special team, and so I traveled. But I only had uh, a little while because I, when I went to my draft board, they said I'd be drafted. I got out of college in June. It's time to be drafted by September. Did you end up going to to um, Vietnam? I, uh, no, no, I, that's way ahead. That's way ahead. I'm way sorry. Ahead. No, uh, that was, that was kind of what they call the Cold War period. I was drafted. Okay. But uh, that okay. that was no active war going on at the time. So after World War Two, like being Cold War, pretty much. Yeah, it's called, it's called the Cold War period. Yeah. Okay, so. Vietnam came came much later. Well, did you were you drafted for Vietnam though? No. No, no, I was I, no. See, they didn't. I was drafted to be in the army, and they sent you where they wanted to, and I went to basic training, but I was drafted to be a a a rifle carrying soldier. Did you feel like you were forced to be in the I army? was forced. I mean, that, that, was, was, the, that was the time. Okay. That was the time. If you, as I said, if you were, if you were not in college, you know, they they give you a, a, a extension. If you're in college, if you're not in college, then you're on the draft list. And when they call your number, you you're forced to go. Yeah, that was the law. And so I know this was segregated times. So I'm gonna move up a little bit to the Civil Rights Act. Do you remember where you were the day that that bill was signed? I have no idea. That, that's a long time ago. How you, you move? You move way up. <laughs> was this like by five years, five or six years? It's more than that. But go ahead. Um. So you said when it was signed. I mean, the, the civil rights movement went on in in four, five, six years. You see, I mean, but, so it was a long time before it got signed. Then then Johnson signed the bill, but there was a long time that's what you're talking about. So I'm looking at 1960 to 1964. Okay. But still, I move back. They go along with that. I'm just speaking about that bill in particular. Just like that specific bill. That was a combination of, of civil rights movement. Not the beginning. It was longer than four years. I, I, I mean, I don't want to say this, but go ahead. Go ahead. During that time, from the 1960s up until, and I'll just ask you in general, do you feel like you 
ever experienced racism? Like, did you ever see it for yourself in regards to someone presenting it to you? Prior to signing the Civil Rights Bill, we all felt racism because that was a restriction on what black folks could do in this country. You know, you couldn't go downtown and eat a, eat a what they call a lunch counter, if you remember correctly, you know, more than five years ago. I mean, the, the first movement started with, with these students sitting at lunch counters. You know, the, now we, we're, we're talking about way back in, in the late 50s. Right. You know, that, that, that's, that's how it started up. You know, it, it, and they were arrested, put in jail. You know, when I, went to, when I was going to school at Bishop, we had the same problem. In the city where I lived, in Marshall, Texas, we could not go downtown and sit at lunch counter, but we did. And some, and many of those who got, were arrested and put in jail. But the NACP had, had, had formed a program where, where they would go. Those, if you got arrested for doing civil rights activities, they would they would they would get you out of jail. And they, National NACP would do that. So yeah, that was discrimination all over the place. If you went in a department store in the city as as a lady. And want to buy a dress, you couldn't try it on before you bought it. You know that's you know that that that's the way it was. You know, and then, then you had separate waiting room. You had you know everything. Everything was separate. You see. When did you when did you decide to take a different route in your career, or did when did you decide to move from Lubbock? So which one happened first? I left Lubbock and I went. I was in the military, so I, so I, that was no longer my home. When I when I got discharged from the military, I stayed in, and stayed in the army two years. When I got charged from the military, I, I came back to Lubbock. But that's when that's when the Atlanta Life put me on the special team, and I started moving around the country, visiting the, the company offices in different areas. I think my first time was in St. Louis, Missouri. You know, I had spent much time out of Texas except for a short time I was in the Army, so I was anxious to go travel and see the world. And did you get to see the world? Not that time. I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> I have eventually got to see it, but, but we talking about when I got out of the military, I was 22 years old, you know, anxious to see the world, yeah. So, and I started out, actually, my first assignment uh, with the Land of Life was back in Marshall, Texas. And and it, that's that's where our training was for that for that uh, month or so. We worked in Marsh, Texas, and I was and I was placed in the same dormitory where I lived when I was four years out in college. And just to go back just a little bit, just this one moment in time in your collegiate career, you pledged what again? Cap outside fraternity. Okay, with the insurance company, like was it a black insurance company? Yes. Okay. Atlanta Life Insurance Company, and there was a number of black insurance. As I said earlier, a number of black insurance companies in the country. Those were the largest business businesses that black the black folks owned back in those days were insurance companies, and it was that way because white insurance companies would not insure black black folks at a reasonable price, and they didn't really want to insure them at all. And so and so these these black insurance companies formed to fill that void. And this was for for what type of insurance? Whatever kind of insurance you need. Life, long, health, automobile, homeowners, whatever. How long did you stay in the position? Which position? As far as being a part of administration. I wasn't part of administration. What happened was 
uh, well, being I, a after, staff. after 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 I, after I came back, you know, after I got out of the military and came back, uh, I was I was this, I was no longer eligible for for for, for the special team because you know they have another they have another group that they were using for the special team, so they they assigned me to, that's how I got to Austin because they, that's where they had that's the only place they had an opening at the time I came back, and so they assigned me to Austin. That was 1962. And how did you view Austin when you first got here? Did you like it? Well, you, it takes a time to determine you can't do that when you first get here. I'll it depends you. on who you are. Huh? No, I don't care who you are. You, you, can't, you can't determine whether you, whether you like a place or not like a place until you've been there for a while. You just can't walk in because you're not, you're not giving the place a, a, a fair shot. You just walk in and say, I don't like the place. I've been there two days. You know? No, I, I did a lot of things in Austin. That's what I like. Anyway, I came back and I, and I was assigned to the, the local agency here as a staff manager, and I had a staff of seven people that worked in front of me. And how long did you end up being with Atlanta, with this insurance company? I was with Atlanta Life for about, uh, I don't know, exactly four or five years. And then I, I, I went in business with a fraternity brother of mine who was an older gentleman and, and political and community activist. He had an insurance uh, agency, and but he worked for another company. He worked for Governor State Mutual. And so he asked, he asked me to come in and, and join him and we formed a partnership uh, with, with his agency. And that was local, uh, local uh, uh, Golden State Mutual Office in Austin. When did you know that you wanted to be a publisher? Did you just wake up no. and decide to? No. How did that come about in your life? Going from being with the insurance company to now dealing with newspapers. That's a pretty long process, but what happened after I went, went into business with Andy Anderson, who's my was my partner, we 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 uh, operated that insurance agency together for about five years. And at that after that point, he was much older, much older man than me, and he had decided that he didn't want to invest any more money into uh, into a, a, that insurance agency that he had, and so uh, he uh, what can I say? He transferred it back, the insurance company back to. Uh, the national office now Gold State Mutual Home Office was, was in Los Angeles, California. So he transferred all, all of his rights back to them, and then they assigned everything back to me as as a as a general contractor. So we we were no longer partners, but I had the agency that we had was was assigned to me in totality. And so, at the beginnings of the newspaper, were you just a one man show? Jumping here from the newspaper, no. I, I operated the, that insurance agency, and I and I incorporated not only life and health insurance, but I incorporated automobile insurance and all this in, in, into that. You see, and uh, that was a, when I came to Austin. That that was a black newspaper in town that I, I used a lot in order to learn about the city who who was what you know. Do you remember but, the name of the paper? Uh, yeah, Cap City. The capital city, August. Okay, which is still here, right? Yes. Okay. On a limited basis, they're, they're not they're not publishing regularly like they were at the time, or like we do, but they're still here. 
Yeah. Was that the main newspaper at the time for Austin? As far as for African American people? Yes. Uh-huh. Austin, that was the main that was the main newspaper. Mm-hmm. And was it pretty informing? Well, they thought so. I mean that's that's why they operated it. I thought so. That's why I, that's why I read it. That's 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 how I learned about Austin. I said I, I learned about the people I mean it's much the same thing we have, you know, wrote about the activities in Austin who was who what was what, yes. And so, and so what happened was, to, to get back to your question, was uh, I, I, I would have a little, they had, they had students who delivered papers for them. And you know, and, and the paper was like, something like between 10, 25 cents, you know, at the time. And so, so we had students who come over every week and bring me the paper, I'd pay him, you know. But then the lady who was running the paper uh, had a heart attack playing bridge one night and died suddenly of a heart attack. And so, and so since that time, after that time, she didn't own the paper, but she was working for some other people and they decided to take another, another, take the paper in another direction. And so, uh, uh, I uh, didn't find it informative anymore. And me and a couple of friends of mine, we, we went out and offered our services to help take it back to the, you know, the area that, that, that we thought the community was most interested in. And the owners did did not think that that was what they wanted to do, and so actually, at that time I had gotten married, and my wife w- was producing a, a magazine called called the um, the uh, uh, Black Registry. It, it, it was it was a, a telephone directory of black owned and managed businesses in the city of Austin. So when somebody came to town and they wanted to find a new person in town, wanted to find a, a service. They could go to the black register and find anything from restaurants to barber shop, beauty shop, cafeterias, whatever, you know. And so uh, we were we she she was running the magazine, but she was running it out of my office. And so during that time, uh, the people who were, who were putting their ass in that black register said, you know, this is great, but they wanted the place to advertise, like the Cap City Arts, that no longer it was no longer available to them. So that's how we started the newspaper. I, I, and, and what I did, it was, it was a couple of people, like man, man and his wife who, who worked, for, worked for her doing the Black Registry. Uh, and they decided that they, they would help with the, with the newspaper we want to start one. Came the, came the fact though that the lady that did that, her father was a dean of journalism at the University of Texas. And she was a graduate of the University of Texas School of Journalism. So, they were the one that took over and helped me put that paper together, put it online, and, and uh, keep it going. Since that time until where you are at this moment, um, how do you see black journalism from when you began to where you are today? Do you think it is still taken seriously? Yes. Taken seriously be, 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 because I belong to an organization called, called the National Newspaper Publishers Association, which is a conglomerate of all the black newspapers in the country, which is about 400 newspapers. You see, that's our organization, yeah. And so uh, we operate the same way the daily papers operate, except most daily papers, you know, white-owned papers were, were like I say, individually owned. They, they, they didn't really cooperate with each other for the most part. And so what, what we did, because 
the black media was, was the only place you could, you could get the really positive news about the black community was through those newspapers. And so what, what the NBA does is try to help those newspapers be as strong as they possibly can, you know, in order to disseminate the information and carry the uh, movement on. What impact do you think your newspaper has had in Austin for over 50 years? What impact? Huh? I don't know. Or does that, that, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we did a job that, that, that we were set up to do that is, is, is to report the positive news about our community. And, and the uh, and other facts that 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 you can only you can't find anywhere except in the black newspaper. Daily papers don't cover it. Da daily papers uh, were very were very known for putting the bad news about us in our papers and putting it on the front page. You know, the good news about our community went on page forty or fifty, wherever wherever as far in the back as they could get it. You know what I mean? And so. Uh, so it was, it was up to the black newspapers to, to, to bring the positive influence. And, and, and most of the movements that went on in this country was actually uh, assisted with by, by the black newspapers. Get, to get the information out, you, you need a, a resource, you know, and you couldn't, you couldn't publish uh, the, the marches downtown, <laughs> you know, to the white newspaper. If they did, the only thing to cover was, was, was the cops with sticks out there beating you down, you see what I mean? But uh, but most of the information still today, and so we get we get calls every day like, how long you think you'd be around? Like you asked me that question, I, I have no idea. As long as we're needed, we'll be around. It's been over a hundred years now, and we're still here. If you had like advice for someone who wants to start a newspaper today, a print newspaper, mm -hmm. what would your advice be to them? I'd my advice would be the same for them, the same with me. You need to research it. You see, because it's not a, it's not a, uh, it's a very expensive operation. Number one, you see, and you need to find just like you do any other business. You need to research it to find out what 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 the pros and cons are about it. You know, it it might sound like a great a great occupation or a great business to have, but if you don't know anything about it, you could get in real serious trouble because they are very expensive. You know. How did you come up with your the name rapping, Tommy Wyatt? My column. My column. Well, back in the day when I was a young man, rapping was, was not singing; it was just talking. You know, and so uh, you know that, that there was a belief that if your rap was right, you could get it the woman you want. And so we all practiced being rap rapping. You know what I mean? Just you know, and, and uh, this, this may not be good to, to go on the thing, but the thing about it, you need to learn how to talk a woman out of her clothes. Talk a man, yeah. You never heard that name? Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so that's, that's what I've known by. So, so when the Capitol of August, before they banned it, we, I was writing a column for them and I was calling rapping, rapping Tommy Wyatt. You know, and then when it went out, the, the new owners came in that were not interested in that column. You know, so I didn't do it that do it that. But when as soon as I came out, and there's another thing about it, when I came out with my paper, I, I, uh, I, I, I joined. I was first in the city to join several white, uh, previously white-owned organizations. You know, and uh, 
and one of those was was the uh, oh God, go away. Anyway, it was a junior chamber of commerce, and they called them the JCs, you know. And these were young men who worked for all the major companies in in, the, in town, but who were expected to be the leaders of tomorrow. Okay, and so you had you had the chamber of commerce, but these were the young executives that they brought in to train them. But what they did, they gave them their own organization that they could go in with different ideas that they had and as, as young men, you know what I mean, and, and bring it along. And so when I came in, I was invited, I met a young man who was in that organization and, uh, and who's a lawyer. And he invited me to join. And so he said, I don't understand why, but, but I've invited several, you know, black men to join and, and they, they would not because, and I understood it. And I said, okay. So he said, let me turn your name in. And you gotta wake up. Wanna sleep on me? Or, oh or you keep flooding your house. And so uh, he said, "Let me turn your name in." And he did. He turned my name in. And at, at that time, of course, I was pretty popular with with the insurance agency. And the night that 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 my application was accepted, four members of the board of directors resigned. So like. And so, did you like experience backlash when you started the paper from the white community? Backlash? As far as starting a black newspaper? No, they they seen black newspaper before. I wasn't first. What do you mean? By so did that? they support you? Who? The white community. Well, I wasn't interested in the white community support per se. I was I was interested in the black folks support me. See, well, see what you got. Remember, we we were self-contained community. You know, in all, Are you speaking of want, East I'm, Austin right now? Are you I, talking no, about? No, I'm not talking about East Austin. I'm talking about black folks. Okay. We're a self-contained community. Whatever we needed, we, we had to provide it for ourselves. So, we, I mean, we, we had outstanding business people. We had carpenters, plumbers, subcontractors, restaurant owners, I mean, electricians, the whole thing. Whatever they had, we had, except we had to operate in our community, you see? So what I needed was support of those businesses, you know, in order to get that message out because, because you know, if, if people don't, your service is no good if nobody knows you have it. You see? And so that's what we were after. We, we, we were not concerned about them. We wanted to make sure that our community thought we could provide a service for them. And, and, and that's how I got into it because we did it with that, with that telephone directory, the black registry. But, but, but 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 those business saying we love this idea, but I need to get a message out to community more often th than uh, once a year. You see, because rest was just once a year. We updated once a year. You know, because if I'm selling, you know, hot dogs sandwiches, you know, I need to be able to tell people I got hot dog sandwiches. So 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 that's what we were after. We 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 were concerned about getting the support of our community and the community businesses. You know, and but they had to spend advertising. Don't understand the need of advertising in our newspaper. And can you explain to the audience what NNPA means, the acronyms? I did a minute ago. I'm saying, what is the organization National, about? National National Newspaper Publishers Association. And it's just it's an organization that is specifically for African American newspapers. Yes. Okay. And how but long have you been a member? Almost, almost. Ever since I've been in business, probably about 45, 40 years. And what's the difference versus the Texas Publishers Association? Okay, well, Texas Publishers Association are, 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 are 
those same members, but who, but but the ones who operate in Texas, Texas, and so we have our large base so we can because every state, as you know, have different kinds of uh, they operate differently, you know, and and, uh, and their products are different. I mean, they have a whole bunch of things. You see, so so protect the public association, or we can get on the same page. In order to be of assistance to each other, you know, in promoting our papers together. Like, for instance, Beto, Beto, Beto O'Rourke. When Beto O'Rourke ran for senator, you know, we met with him. We, we, we would meet those statewide politicians like that and say, hey, you know, let us help with your campaign. You see, so when, when you advertise, you just can't advertise. It's called you, you, it's called you, you from El Paso. El Paso can't elect you if you're running, running for the state of Texas. So we, 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 we had a meeting with him, and all the folks all from Texas came together. He came in and sat with us, you know, and we told him how we could be of service to him. He advertised with all of our papers, you know. And, 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 and most of the time, uh, if you run the statewide office, you need to do that. You just can't, you just can't advertise in, in one city, in the city where you live, you know. And so we, but a lot of times people don't know that you, we, that you have this network that because they can serve you all in the state. If you can answer this question, I think the audience will probably want to know. So, in the late 1960s, if you can, if you remember this, what do you think was one of the biggest issues of the paper? I mean, as far as like you publishing a piece of news in the 60s. I don't know. I wasn't. I I, I started in '73. So what about the 70s? Now, what, what, what's the question again? What would be one of the, like, when you publish the paper, what would be one of the, um, I guess, one of the most sought-after issues? Well, I won't say it's the most sought-after, but one of the things we were trying to do was get, get blacks elected to public office, you know. And we could, huh? Dr. Barbara Jordan, did you get to interview her, or and during that time period? Well, yeah. Barbara Jordan from Houston, so she really wasn't at the time wasn't that interesting. What I had to say, she had with Houston, but yeah, I met with Barbara Jordan. I talked to her, you know. But yeah, getting people elected to, to public office, both uh, statewide and, and and locally, you know, we didn't have anybody on city council. We had people on city council year after year after year, but Blacks were never elected, you know, and so what, what we had to do was find a a liberal white person on the city council to help with our issues about for city council. You see, so Burl Hancock, you heard Burl Hancock, yeah. well, he was young, he's a black gentleman here, graduated Prairie University, worked 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 with the IBM plan here, one top officer. We can we asked him to run uh, for for the and, and act incidentally. Uh, IBM was one, one of the companies, one of the high tech companies first come to town that made a demand for the city that said, said unless, you know what office is? Well, well, out on North Lamar, the IBM plant, anyway, they're not big like they used to be, you know. But they told them, if you want to, if, if you can't provide a, a uh, how can I say West Austin was segregated, okay? And what they're saying, if you, if you want to sell homes to our employees that live in that part of town, then we can't be a part, we can operate in this city. That's what got us. 
But okay, so then what we had to do, we had to find a candidate, black candidate, that would be acceptable to the white part of town, you see. So Beryl Hancock was the highest ranking African American at IBM at the time. And we asked him, he just got here. He didn't know anything about Austin or us, you know, but we, you know, but as we met and, you know, and socialized, see, and we asked him to run. And he said, why me? And we had to explain to him that we have to have a person running that the other side of town respects, you see. And most of the people that, that had been running had, had been activists from East Austin, you know, that just pissed folks off because they were actually equal time and equal rights and all that kind of stuff, you see. And so Burrell uh, decided to let us put his name forward, and he won. He was first African-American city council member in Austin. Since, since Reconstruction, they had some way back in Reconstruction time, but they didn't stay long. But he was the first one since Reconstruction that was elected to our city council. And so from that point, I would say to the like 80s, what would be another moment in time, you think, that would be big, that was big for the paper as far as you publishing, if you remember? I probably remember, I never looked at it in, in, that, in that vein. I mean, as important times of the paper, I mean, I, and we were working with the community, you know, and, and so and so it, it's not helping to help and push, push, push uh, their interests forward, you know, and, and the only thing, during the whole period we've been around, our thing has been to, to uh, report the positive news of the community, you know, and, and push it forward. Let the, let the community talk to itself. Let the community tell, let them tell the other person side of town, you know, and, and, and they put it in our paper, we distribute it all over town and, 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 and part of the country. You know, other people read them. Because of what, in fact, uh, our, our paper is, is not read 100% by black folks. You, you see, we, we, we uh, about 45, 50% of our paper are not black, Hispanic and white readers. And we and we've done that research, so we know that I'm not just making that up. You know. Does that bother you? No, it doesn't bother me. That's what that's what we're here for. I mean, that, that's 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 our golden objective. That doesn't bother me. But I'm I'm saying, but sometimes I just stereotype that why I put something in the village on, on the black folks gonna read it, and that's not true. 